We're going to purge a new legacy and we're going to escape a new age with the Croods. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect. And this is Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Welcome to Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything cinematic, as we say. So, hi, Bex. How are you doing this week? Hi, Van. Yeah, I'm good. I was just thinking ahead, and I am on mm. holiday in a, in a couple of weeks, and I just realised that that week that I'm on holiday, yeah. it's like Suicide Squad week. It's, oh, yeah. it's like big movies coming out, so I'm going to have to join the general public and just go <laughs> and uh, go and watch it at my leisure. <laughs> well, you know, the fun part of that as well is that week, uh, as well as the Suicide Squad, there is also... Uh, uh, Jungle Cruise with Dwayne Johnson, which as well as being in cinemas is also going to be a premier access title, so you can watch that on, on Disney Plus at home as well, should, you, should you choose. But I agree, it's a terrible week to have to miss. But you know what, this, this is always our lot in life as film critics, missing the movies that you know we would otherwise want to see. We're going to have that, actually, with our very first film, our very first new release for this week, which is in cinemas from today, Friday, the 16th of July. I almost said May for a second, I have no idea why May. <laughs> uh, I didn't get to see Space Jam, A New Legacy, you did, Bex, so I'm going to let you tell us about, well, it's, it's now literally, isn't it, 25 years this year since the first jam, since yes. the original jam, the OG yeah. jam. And, and, and I think, you know, this is, this is high on a lot of people's expectations if they grew up as a kid of the 90s, loved Michael Jordan, loved the bonkersness of the original Space Jam. Because let's face it, the 90s was full of bonkers, big budget, you know, not just on film, but on telly as well. So, you know, obviously this is something that is much loved, hence why the second movie is called A New Legacy, because it is mm -hmm. continuing a very popular legacy. This time, what we see is a fictional version of LeBron James, okay? So it's... Right. It's, it's Lebro James? Huh? Lebro James? Perhaps? No, 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 it's Lebron, but it's like he's got a... I, I believe that the family that he has in this movie is not his real family acting, because they don't think like really good actors. Yeah, I, don't think, I don't think he's married to Captain Burnham from Star Trek Discovery. Well, there we like, go. Reality, I could see it, though. I could totally see it. Um, but he, you know, we, we get a little insight into his passion and focus for his, um, for his sport, and he's got two sons, one of which is really into basketball, one of which is actually into video games his son Dom and he just tries to sort of you know get him on side with him and it doesn't quite work out so you've got a little bit of a family dynamics there um he then gets invited to essentially a a pitch from Warner Brothers um mm. in which he <laughs> don't even wait leave let me I'll come on to that in a minute okay. um in which they want him to kind of represent them in a new way he doesn't buy into it but the person behind this kind of pitch is actually like an algorithm uh, played mm -hmm. by Don Cheadle. And he's like this supervillain algorithm that sits in the service sphere of Warner Brothers. Right. And so he decides to capture both LeBron and his son and bring him into this digital space. And the only way that they can both get back home, I don't know if you can see where I'm going here because it's not exactly different from the original, is to <laughs> pull together a team of the best basketball players in the universe to play against this AI villain. Um, and of course, he doesn't get that. He gets a bunch of Looney Tunes instead. We rapping now? We rapping? Show them who you really are, notorious P.I.G. Oh, oh boy, here goes nothing. What up? It's Porky Pig. They call me P-Double-L-G. Step to me, he don't want no trouble. 
I was famous before the internet. Since 1935, I've been getting respect. This pig is lit. I'm super legit. Every time I'm out in public, people asking me for pics. You, nobody knows you when you walk the street. How your last name, rhythm, and you're still off beat. From beginning to the end, I'm here for all the smoke. Your squad ain't all star. Your squad is all jokes. And this with one bar, most famous of all quotes. This battle is now over the that. That's all, folks. Okay, so before we begin to unpack that, which I, 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 I don't even know where to begin, um, before we even begin to unpack that, um, i just got to ask the obvious question that you have to ask before discussing Space Jam, and it is kind of the required caveat of any discussion on this property, this brand, this IP, and that is, where do you sit, you yourself now, Bex, on Space Jam, the 1996 original? Do, do you actually think of it? Is it? Do you think it is actually a film worthy of the fandom that it has? Or do you think that actually it's a crap movie and its reputation is built entirely upon nostalgia and rose-tinted glasses? The latter. I'm not a sports fan, hmm. right, first and foremost. <laughs> okay, so it doesn't appeal to me. It didn't appeal to me. That is the that hmm. is the year that I was re-watching The Goonies and re-watching, hmm. you know, those ambling classics that I love. So I'm not your target audience for this, and I totally get right. that. Regardless of that, this is not a movie, right? Is it not? This it, is not was, a movie. Was, was The Rapping Pig not in an actual cinematic venture? Oh. No, it was in a video game, quite like... Oh. Quite like Ready Player One is a, is a video game. <laughs> this is not a movie. This doesn't have the narrative to kind of hold it through. Um, it doesn't have the nostalgia. It's like if, if it could pull every single pop culture reference like, and, mm. and shove it in and hope it works, that's what this is doing, uh, which is a shame. Um, and it's also a, a like, the odd bits of product placement I get right in movies mm -hmm. i kind of understand yeah. you know or even like reality tv you watch the x factor they've got like coke coke cans up there or whatever this is warner Bro this is an advert for warner brothers like there is like like when he goes into the the universe or whatever it is that he goes into like he goes through the warner brothers shield right it's like everything is that like you could play the pitch that they give to lebron james you imagine that if you were doing a walking tour through Warner Brothers, that you'd see that kind of video pitch. It is awful, right? It is not a slam dunk. Really? Is it? <laughs> oh no, actually, I loved it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I really hated it. This, I mean, this is this is a first for us, Bex. I mean, I, I feel like genuinely flattered that you've allowed me to go through this with you. I feel like it's such a rarity for you to rag on a movie. Well, I just look. I like to be balanced on it, but I I was looking around at what I thought were the jokes. And nobody in the screening room was laughing. And this is, so it's not me. And do you know what? We, you and I had a couple of texts after the mm. movie. And, and I said, okay, don't worry. I've got Space Jam covered. And you were like, I've heard it's dreadful. And I said, I wasn't going to say anything until we got on air. But yeah. You've, and you've the actually been soft compared to some piece, some friends I've, I've spoken to. Like You've been yeah. actually quite soft and you are still resoundingly negative. I just there's no there's no place for this movie. There is no need for it. Like LeBron James executive Jam too. Wow. I know. LeBron James exec producer. I think I saw Ryan Coogler exec produce this he, as well. He is Ryan Coogler did produce this. And Malcolm D. Lee, you know, the guy who's directing this, is the guy that came up with the Think Like a Man movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is not a half bit. Let me just say one thing that really irked me. So mm. the two main actors, physical actors, are LeBron James and Don Cheadle. 
Yeah. You don't expect LeBron James to be able to act. You expect you expect Don Cheadle to be able to act, right? Hmm. Yeah. LeBron James lives up to expectation. No, he can't act. He can't even act as a voiceover, right? <laughs> and yet, Don Cheadle is fed the most disgustingly base lines that even he can't bring them yeah. to life. And oh my god, just tear me away from this. It's just awful. Just Leave me alone. Don Cheadle, a man who was in Iron Man 2, has somehow found a worse movie. Mind you, then again, he was in Ocean's 12 as well. Let's never forget about that. Um, okay, let's talk about something slightly more fun then, uh, which I think has a slightly more positive result. Escape Room Tournament of Champions is out. Did you get to see this one? No, and I'm gutted because I love an escape room. Like It's one of my favourite things to do. So we had this, I think it was uh, four year, three, four years ago now. Oh, no, sorry, it was only two years ago was the, was the original escape room. It was put together quite quickly and quite cheaply. I think it was filmed in South Africa, literally on the cheap. This is only a couple of mil. Pretty big hit, you know, internationally. And the basic setup is it's saw light, effectively. It's like a group <laughs> of strangers get invited to a mysterious escape room, cue a series of saw-style, you know, death traps that they have to work out the escape puzzles to get through. Uh, we had two survivors of the first movie. They are now back, and the story is continuing. Uh, they are now going on the trail of the people behind the escape room to begin with, and this then leads them to be captured and put into a new escape room, along with a series of other survivors from other previous escape rooms. And what you've effectively got is the Hunger Games 2, where it is literally the champions of the previous games all taking part together. Do you hear that? Welcome to Minos Escape Rooms. Keep your belongings inside at all times. Minos found us. It's happening again. No, 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 I wish I would have come back. Oh my god. No. Wait, wait, you guys have played the game before? So that makes this what? Tournament of Champions? I, I was like, I've seen a very similar film. I've seen the first one. And actually, the first one wasn't out that long ago. That's why I was like, I've seen one like this recently. I swear it was about three months before we went into lockdown. I'm sure yeah. it was. Yeah. It was, it, and I, and it's, it's not bad. They're not bad. They're not anything impressive. You know you know exactly what this movie is. It's a 90-minute yeah. long. You know, here's a, 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 a cast where you'll recognise two faces. One of them was maybe in movies 30 years ago, and the other one's, like, on cable now. Yeah. Okay. One of those. It's saw light. I, I it, if if you know if saw exists, this is like carpet knife. If you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I I liked the first one. I now I've put the link together. I'm actually quite excited to watch yeah. this one. So how it's, does it? It's how a younger skewing. It, to be honest with you, it is more mythology heavy. It is a, an actual part two. This is not like a we are world building with this. This just feels like the, the next day the characters carry on. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it does retain that feeling of we are watching a younger skewing, slightly more optimistic and brightly coloured take on the Saw franchise. Cast are all perfectly fine. There's some inventive enough traps, even though they do increasingly become quite ludicrous as it goes on because it starts to take it out of the real world. If you want me to go with the genre comparison, I would say this is a better sequel than the similarly pitched Cube 2 Hypercube, but nowhere near as good as Saw 2. Okay. And that is, and that is literally the Escape from a Death Room sequel spectrum right there. Oh, 
Welcome back to off screen. Um, so I, I've calmed down since Space Jam. I'm, I'm, I'm over it now to an extent. Um, I'm going to move on to um, a, a franchise that has fared better like in terms of it's gone beyond the second one and we are at number five in the franchise now. It's out. Um, five? Yeah, it's the fifth movie. Oh, my God. Do you know, I've lost count now. It just feels like it's always... Because yeah, obviously we got to, like, we're on 11 Saw movies? Are we on nine? We're on 10 or 11 Saw movies with Spiral. So, I mean, I don't know with the with this one. And also, when you said you'd calmed down from your, your previous anger, I thought you were going to say that you'd purged, which would have just been the, the perfect segue into the Forever Purge or the Purge 5, whatever you want to call it. So you 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 saw this as well. Yeah, you? I did. And, and before you say it, I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still reeling. I'm still reeling from my pain over Space Jam that I've forgotten to do something co- cool and funny and quippy like that. But anyway. Hold <laughs> your quips. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the fifth movie in the franchise. So, this one takes a twist. And I was intrigued to see how they were going to play this one out. So, it's called The Forever Purge. Um, it takes a twist on the idea that the annual purge is going to extend beyond its original one-night quota. Um, So the Forever Purge basically follows um, Adela and her husband Juan, who are two immigrants, I suppose illegal immigrants, that have come over to Texas. And um, they work for a very wealthy cowboy family. Um, They're very ranchy. Yeah, they're real real ranch. Um, They're they're so ranchy that this is a family that includes both Will Patton as the sort of grandfather figure and Josh Lucas as the... uh, adult son so that's how ranchy they yeah, are yeah and and the son has has a slight issue with mexicans doesn't really like them so there's obviously there's like a racial issue here there's all this kind of stuff there's prejudice going on so this is the backbone of what is driving this particular narrative of the movie but basically they get through the annual purge and actually it's a bit of a non-event for them they've all put their shutters up and whatever the next morning though they kind of go back to normal and then suddenly a masked gang of killers appear and both the wealthy ranch family and Juan and Adela eventually and his family they have to kind of work together to fight back against these forever purges as the whole of America spirals into chaos. Come on, the, the, the sell things, the, 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 the chingaderas estas, the, the, the... Towers? Yeah, the towers, the, the cell towers, they are cutting them. Hey, we just watched that a lot of cities have gone dark. Miami's gone, Austin is under siege. First responders are overwhelmed. We're in a state of emergency. It's all over the country. The violence is spreading and not stopping. Due to the waves of violence currently sweeping the U.S., Mexican President Leon Garcia Soler and Canadian Prime Minister Sophie Kouesh are opening their borders for the next six hours. Mexico and Canada will take in anyone from America unarmed and give them sanctuary until order is reestablished in the U.S. We gotta go to Mexico. After six hours, both borders will be closing indefinitely. I'm gonna spell Mexico now here's the interesting thing with the the Purge franchise. It's always had a topicality, but it ha- it found itself five years ago faced with a, a quite pro- pro- quite a problematic optics issue, which was that they put out a movie called The Purge Election Year. Yeah. During an actual election year, which was intentional, they had meant to do that, but the thing was, it was meant to be released during a regular election, and it got released during the Trump election. And so what you had was a, a, a point at which the series could not have been further from, from from relevance because all of a sudden our reality 
looked not entirely dissimilar from this supposedly cautionary tale mm. that they were trying to put. And it stopped being a cautionary tale. But because they didn't have, you know, the the, the runway, the, the, this, and this is not their fault, this is down to release timing, it sort of forever dented them as far as being able to tackle immediate topical relevance goes. And yeah. so what we've got now is the first one that I would say has been specifically targeted back at the Trump era. And it is in looking at specifically how immigration has been dealt mm. with and how things like the wall and how certain phrases from the Trump era have actually, funnily enough, always been present yep. in the fundamental alt-right Republican theology of the Purge series. Having said that, they don't really do a very good job with the opportunity no. given them here because it comes across as quite canon films and quite direct-to-video in terms of quality, writing, and even its actual production value and cinematic worth. Very rogue. Yeah, and I thought, actually, the thing I love, I actually really enjoyed, this sounds sadistic, I, I enjoyed the violence in the original Purge. You know, it's the shock factor of that. And the most shocking bit of constructed violence that you get in this movie is what you see in the trailer where Adela is mm. basically slammed over a, a she goes into a goat pen to kind of rescue a goat oh, yes, and then yes. gets slammed that's the only kind of like Saw-esque you know we're pushing the boundaries of violence feel to it and you, that's in the trailer it's it yeah it's it's not on the top end of the scale of the Purge movies well, I know that the fandom for The Purge actually is of a decent size now. Like, the, the audience seems to have grown quite a bit since the Amazon Prime TV series, which I think is a uh, taking place, all takes place during one Purge, I think. But Ethan Hawke apparently turned up in, like, the second season as his original 2013-2014 Purge character, apparently to link it all. Like, this has a continuity now that I'm not, uh, you know, offhandedly aware of, but uh, the thing I feel like with uh, with the Forever Purge is we have now reached the point that these have stopped being socially constructive horror films and have simply become horror films that occasionally take stabs at being socially constructive, mm. and that's that's a problem. When when the other movies have come at them first and foremost from the sociological angle or the socio political angle or the the cultural angle, mm. they've worked, mm. even though they've not been topically relevant. They've worked. Yeah. So even election year still had its points to make and it still had things to say and it still really worked. This just feels like a complete mess because for one thing, it just feels like they went and made a horror movie first and foremost. Like it is shot as a horror yeah. movie. The deaths take place as a horror yeah. movie. Like you just said, a Saw style movie. You thinking, yeah, but at the same time, we weren't going back to the Purge movies because of the gore or the Saw style deaths or the horror movie deaths. Oh, I was. The reason we kept... <laughs> but that's it. The thing is though, most of us kept going back to the Purge movies because... The idea mm. is so good for a movie. Yeah. Like, the, like, this is a franchise that never needs to end. In fact, the more they keep coming up with nonsense explanations, like, oh, eight years later, they re-elected the new founding fathers, and they... And it's like, I don't care. I don't care. Just all you need to say is they voted it back in. That's all we needed. We don't need a mythology to the Purge. It literally just needs to be, boom, this is happening on Purge night. The end. There's been five of these. You get the drift by now. We are not establishing the DVD player heist ring thing at the start of every Fast and Furious movie yeah. anymore. Yeah, and I'm with you on that because actually the, the thing that I think it lacked, right, is that when you watch a Purge movie, the amount mm. of people who come out of the woodwork for the Purge is great, Yeah. right? And it's a huge amount. I actually felt there was a lot less people purging in the aftermath, right? <laughs> and I was like, where is everyone? Why aren't you doing this? <laughs> I mean, we are, we, are, we are now two entire movies past the point that Rick and Morty parodied this concept into, into insignificance. And yet, 
we still come back for them. They're still making them. Audiences are still turning up. So obviously, you know, people are going to see this either way. I know it came out last week in the US, and I think it's, it's, it's today here. Um, it's, it's theaters. It's theatrical only. Like, it's not even, I don't think it's even doing Peacock uh, in the US. We'll be towards the end of the summer. But if you, if you really want a very basic version of a Purge movie, that's, that's what this yeah. is. But it does feel like the made-for-TV adaptation. This feels like the Purge series' is streaming spin-off. Movie. Yeah, yeah. It definitely isn't up there as one of the strongest movies at all. I think if you're yeah. really after a bit of a Purge yourself, go back and re-watch the first one. That's the one you want to catch. So let me uh, let me tell you about uh, something more upbeat, more fun, and would you believe it, not even the only animated sequel we've reviewed this week. So let's talk about The Crudes, A New Age, which is out today. Uh, came out six months ago, November last year in the US, would you believe. Got released on PVOD in the US uh, just before Christmas. So this movie's been around a while. It turns out that, well, obviously The Crudes was 2013. Turned out to be surprisingly good. Did you see The Crudes? I haven't, no. I've never seen any of this. Right. So the Croods is basically sort of Flintstones-like set of, not really like Flintstones, they're, they're, they're a caveman family, caveman family, okay? You've got the dad who's Nicolas Cage, the mum is Catherine Keener, this is all CG animated by DreamWorks, teenage daughter is Emma Stone, teenage son is Clark Duke. And they met, in the first movie, they met Guy, who's a sort of, you know, inventive, resourceful, solo, sort of manic pixie dream boy type, played by Ryan Reynolds. He's so cool, he literally has an animal he wears as a belt, whose name is belt anyway so the the second the, the first movie was effectively meet the parents yeah. you've now got the sequel which is effectively imaginatively enough meet the fuckers which i'm gonna have to say again meet the fuckers okay so please don't take us to task on that's the name of the movie i did have to clear this beforehand anyway so um this time around his new in-laws are going to meet his parents effectively except they're not really his parents they're sort of his parents his dead parents friends when the wandering caveman sort of family that he's now girlfriended into uh, meet the bettermans as they're called who are voiced by peter dinklage and uh, leslie mann with a daughter voiced by kelly louis uh, kelly marie trans so raya from raya and the last dragon and of course and what you then got are the crudes, the, the gruff caveman type, meeting the woke, the new age. The movie is literally called A New Age. They meet this new age, super, super woke family who are all into conservation and free living and things. And wouldn't you know it, they're going to come to loggerheads, but certainly no more so than the daughter Kelly Marie Tran, who also serves as a sort of rival love interest against Emma Stone for the affections of that manic pixie dream boy. Hi, guys! Hey, you. Where'd you go? Took Chucky for a joyride. Joyride? Joyride? We rolled to death. Outside the wall. Cat. You took Dawn for a joyride outside the wall? Yeah. Well, the Bettermans, they, they don't want Dawn outside the wall. They built the wall for a reason, you know, to keep everyone safe. Guy, relax. Yeah, guy. Take it down low. What's wrong with her? Ah, uh, it's just a reaction to the bee venom. Bee venom? Bee venom! What the? Ugh, it's just a little bee sting. Little! Hey, you're not the boss of me. This is a very severe. <laughs> Eep! 
This is a very severe beasting. This is a very severe beasting. Fine. I think I need to watch this to kind of to get like to get my head around whether or not I'm going to enjoy it. The ball- the, uh, the question I always ask about anim- 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 an animated movie is: Does it appeal? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what happened there. Does it appeal to both adults and kids? Yes, absolutely. Now, the first movie was better than it had any right to be. This actually is even better somehow. This works very well. Nicholas Cage is having an absolute ball. The cast are all absolutely perfect in it. Uh, I think it's one of the final performances of the late great Cloris Leachman as uh, as the grandma figure of the the family as well. And you know. It's just a good time. There's, I had some seriously hardcore laughs during this. I cared. I was emotionally invested. I sort of knew where it was going throughout because, you know, I'm not five. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I had good fun. There's, there's some cool some cool setups in this. I like the animated style. The humour is, at times, goes quite cloudy with a chance of meatballs. It's fun to see Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage in, in full Homer Simpson mode at the same time. It's like Nicolas Cage is Fred Flintstone, right. if you would imagine. Like, imagine what Nicolas Cage would play. It, it's exactly like that. Um, yeah, good fun. Recommend it. If you want something for the kids this weekend, absolutely unmissable. And, and by the sound of it, certainly better than Space Jam and New Legacy. The Crude's A New Age, uh, I think, uh, definitely one you have to see. And now it's time for a segment we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hey, Bex. Hey, Van, what's going on? Hey, nothing going on but the rent. You know how we be. Still, we must smile, eh? Oh, uh, well, smiling, did, you know what? I've been looking a little bit behind the science of a smile. Right, and I think are we, this are is... we by any chance sponsored by a company that deals in terrific smiles? We are talking this week about Smile Brilliant, right? And they've come up with five fantastic facts, which I didn't know this, and I don't think you did either. So basically, fact number one is that teeth whitening does not whiten your teeth. What? Mind blown on that one. Uh, teeth whitening does not damage your teeth, but it does temporarily dehydrate them, which is interesting. Um, it also, they've come up with the fact that tooth sensitivity is the result of tooth hydration, dehydration. Caps and veneers cannot be whitened because they don't have the pores and mm. for stains to latch to. And the key to teeth whitening is, most importantly, the device in which you whiten them on. So the delivery device. makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't it? So, you know, it's things like whitening strips. They often neglect the crevices and the molars. They slide on your teeth. All those things that are slightly annoying when you're trying to whiten your teeth. I can't, yeah, I can't get on with those. No, exactly. Neither can I. And I've I've tried everything. I've tried like you know those big teeth whitening machines that you go in for and stuff like that. It doesn't all work. So the the way that teeth whitening has been recommended by dentists is by using a custom fitted tray. So you can have yeah, your dentist. Yeah. yeah, you can have them make them right, but it's really costly for you to get that done. For oh, our friends, that's a boatload. Absolutely. So for our friends over in the states, it's between three to six hundred dollars. Right. Hmm. There is now, thanks to Smile Brilliant, an alternative, which is a great alternative. So um, if you go over to smilebrilliant.com and you use their lab direct mail-in process for a fraction of the price than you pay at the dentist, what you can basically do is you can purchase Smile Brilliant's custom fitted night guards if you're grinding your teeth. And again, that's something that can help you from going on um, and paying all these expensive things. So what they will do is help you in loads of different ways to make you smile more brilliantly, which is exactly the purpose. We all want to have much more beautiful, white, shiny teeth. And all you need to do is go to smilebrilliant.com and use the coupon code OFFSCREEN to go and get your fantastic discount. I love it. Boom. Speaking of booms, let's, let's talk about uh, our other sponsor for this week. Let's talk about our sponsor. The, the this is I love this idea. Okay, so this is a new platform from uh, Smug Mug. It's called Smug Mug Source. Okay, so you know how 
how, you know that whole thing, you know, you take a picture, you've got an image, like, I'm going to treasure this image forever. I, I often do it. I, I take mm. a lot of selfies, naturally. Smugmug Source is this this wonderful new sort of online toolkit, right? Okay, so this is, uh, this, this allows you to sort of store and manage and organize all your photos. If you, you take a lot of photos on the fly, I have a lot of photographer friends. Yeah. Uh, for instance, you've met a few of them. And I've been with them when they've done this. I've done premieres with them and things. You know, they take a load of really high-res images. They want to get them, like, they don't want to, like, keep them on them for the day and a half it's going to take them to get to the get to the office they can work on them so you know nine times out of ten they'll pop to the nearest starbucks or get on the hotspot whack the data card in and upload them and you know what you, the problem is they always want to do this they always want to do this in that raw format you know raw the yeah, raw yeah, file yeah. type yeah. well it turns out it's actually incredibly difficult to find anywhere that deals with raws <laughs> and uh, smug mug source actually does includes raws would you believe which i know is like the holy grail so you never lose anything so it uses all these powerful search technologies and organization tools and all that stuff just to basically cut down make all your files as easy to deal with as possible you can centralize everything they've been doing this for like two decades and they've, they've got like servers stuffed with billions of photos Apparently, they pitch themselves as a true end-to-end photography platform. And uh, you can tr- basically, you can give them a trial. No credit card required. All you need to do is head over to smugmug.com slash source to learn more. Smugmug.com slash source. So every photo, every format, everywhere. Welcome back to Off Screen. We are now moving you from the cinema to the couch. And uh, good good luck for you guys uh, sitting down and watching stuff on the couch because it's got to be better than watching Space Jam. I think I'm just going to keep bringing this back every every second. I'm just, I'm just imagining what it must be like to like be on a, a, a really well-going date with you now. It's like, we are taking you from the cinema to the couch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> After a Space Jam screening, Bex, really? <laughs> <laughs> this is not how I planned that day to come to work no. out. <laughs> what have you... And actually, you know what? After after a date like that, you could probably do with a dumping, right? So yeah, of what, course. Yeah. What, what are we? What are we? In, talking of dumping, what are we? What are we dumping on Saturday night? <laughs> the spy who dumped me is on on Saturday night. He's on Channel Four at nine pm. Do you remember this one? This was back in 2017, 2018, I want to say. Um... This starred Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon. It had Sam Ewan in it as 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 a hunky CIA agent. The whole thing was that Mila Kunis is going out with Justin Theroux who's like it turns out hasn't told her that he's a cia sort of black ops secret agent type and uh, he he turns up after having gone missing he turns up with like covered in sweat and blood people are trying to kill him there's bullets flying everywhere he gives her a pack he says you got to take this to this place give it to this person because now they're after you as well and they go on a big european adventure she and her best friend played by kate mckinnon you can imagine how this sort of plays just just with the casting of those two with like Mila Kunis and, and Kate McKinnon, you kind of know exactly what the movie is just there. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm a little bit worried or was a bit concerned about this one because there was a terrible Melissa McCarthy sort of one. <laughs> I, I always get so confused. Why do you hate? Well. Why do you hate on Spy, man? I've never understood this. I just like, yeah, it's Spy, isn't it? Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> Oh, I mean, you got to at least love the Stath in Spy. He's so good. Also, Rose Byrne in Spy. 
Well, Jude Law in Spy, Alison J. Everything about Spy is. I'm sorry, everything about Spy is great. I, I got to disagree with you on. Anyway, it's not the point. That's spy the point. isn't on Channel Four at nine o'clock on Saturday night. The Spy Who Dumped Me is very different. Spy. This one does dumping. That one does do dumping. I'm gonna I, I, I'm gonna dump that one on Saturday night though. It's just not my thing. Um, maybe really? I, I think you should. I think if you want a good globe charging action comedy, I think it's a good time. Especially okay. Kate McKinnon. I love Kate McKinnon. Maybe for you, I will give it a whirl. We'll see. But have, um, I think we've got the same situation going tomorrow though on Sunday. Not tomorrow, but the following day on Sunday though, when we're talking about uh, Hail Caesar on yeah. Film Four at four forty-five. You're not a fan of this one, are you? Well, no, do you know what? I think I had such high expectations for this that I was actually mm. quite let down um, a little bit. I, you know, you know this, I anything to do with like the golden age of Hollywood, it just, it, the glamour of that, that's why I got into movies, that's why I love it, is because I just have this real idyllic dream of like walking around back lots and seeing like people dressed as Roman soldiers and stuff like that, like extras and things. It, I've been to Pinewood, it doesn't quite work like that. But um, this, this is, um, Hail Caesar is um, is a movie that stars an all-star cast. It launched the career, short-lived, of Alden <laughs> Enric. Um, and it's about a Hollywood fixer in the 1950s um, who wants to keep the studio stars in line. So we've got Josh Brolin, George Clooney's in this, Ray Fiennes is in this, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, Channing Tatum, Francis McDormand, Jonah Hill. I mean, you know what? Let's just listen to a clip. Say your line exactly as I'm about to, just as I'm about to do. Sure, okay. Would that it were so simple? 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 My dear boy, why do you say that? Why do you say twer? Well, you should say it like I said. Yes. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it would that it were so simple? Watch my mouth. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Keep your head still. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? I'm trying to say that, Mr. Lawrence. Lawrence? Hmm. I thought. A minute ago, it was Lorraine. No, we can use Christian names, my good dear boy. Lawrence is fine, just as I call you Herbie. Okay. So, would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Trippingly. Would that it were so simple? Trippingly. I love that so much. That is one of my favourite clips in in any movie ever. Um, Ray Fiennes in that movie, just terrific. Yeah. I, I I have such a deep love for for this movie. I, I, I it's a movie I go back to, and it's on perfect time Sunday afternoon, uh, quarter to five. It, it's the perfect movie to just you know when you've had your Sunday lunch. If you, one of those people has your just a little lunch early. Just don't sit down on the couch. Just you know un, unbuckle and enjoy this movie. Just let, let the gut out post Sunday dinner, and, and enjoy Hail Caesar. It's a good romp on film four. Yeah. Um, another solid thriller. I don't know if you've ever seen this one. I don't think no. we've spoken about this one. So great movies. Monday night, 9 p.m. A John Travolta classic. Okay, this is 1998's The General's Daughter, in which he's effectively the JAG officer investigating the murder of guess who on an army base. And all his suspects are, you know, members of the military military complex and have to adhere to rules and codes. Someone's lying, but how are they doing it? This one's got an all-star cast as well. You've got Travolta, Timothy Hutton, sort of pre-Me Too, uh, was in there as well. You've, you've got uh, Madeline Stowe. You've got James Cromwell, Clarence Williams III. Just a really great cast in there. I think this is a really great, solid thriller. And I'm just good, solid John Travolta fun as well. Like, he's cool as hell in this one. Uh, do you know what? I think I have seen it, but many moons ago. So, you know, uh, uh, it certainly rings a bell, shall we say. Uh, and, and when you said it was jo- a John Travolta movie, I was like, 
yeah, I actually think I have seen this. Um, so I might rewatch it again. Um, it's on great mov- movies at 9 p.m. on Monday night. Um, but yeah, is it, when was it out? Like 90s? Late 90s? 98. 98, 98 I think. Yeah. I, went, I went to the pictures to see it, which shows you exactly the kind of movies I watched when I was 15. But yeah, <laughs> movies from the director of Con Air. I want, a, I want a military procedural thriller. Oof, hook me up. Red Bull for the win, yo. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about Ted 2, which is on E4. No. 9pm on Tuesday. You're a fan of this, aren't you? Uh, do you know what? Maybe this is what sort of dictates how I feel about movies nowadays. I love the Ted movies. Like I just love this kind of like funny, uh, crude, slackery type of uh, type of movie. Like with a talking teddy bear. Who doesn't? Um, you, you show me any scene, any scene from uh, from these two movies in which Ted is simply sat in his boss's office and comes out with one of his little comments back to him. And you, you lose me for the day because yeah. that kills me with laughter. Yeah. I don't think that the second movie is as strong as the first. I think you lose that no. surprise factor, which we can all imagine. But I think the hype, I remember like seeing all the billboards and stuff going, oh my God, it's another Ted movie. This is going to be brilliant. I would like to see a third, actually. Um, I think the the second one I think is more episodic than yeah. the, the the first one. It does seem to change its place, its central storyline around a couple of times. It you know, comes back sort of coherently at the end, but it's still good fun comedy though, regardless. Mm. Like even if it is a bit messy. Uh, what else have we got there? So let's talk about uh, Wednesday uh, Wednesday the ninth. Wednesday the ninth. Is that right? Wednesday. No, it's not. We'd look. I don't know. I've left the dates from last week in this script, clearly. Uh, On BBC Two at 11.15pm, we have the one, the only Christopher Nolan. It's not even our only Christopher Nolan movie we're talking about this week. So should we talk about both Nolan movies kind of together? Yeah, go on. They're very different Nolan movies. Very different. So on uh, on Wednesday, on BBC Two, 11.15, we've got not his first movie, but I think it's his second. Memento. This was his breakout movie back yeah. in I think, uh, 2000, I think it was. And then on Thursday on BBC4 at 10 pm, you can catch not his most recent movie, but the one before, Dunkirk. We've got a little clip for you from Dunkirk. You're a weekend sailors, not the bloody Navy. You should be at home. There's no hiding from this, son. We have a job to do. Turn it around! We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. We shall never surrender. Where's the bloody Air Force? This, uh, you can probably hear from that clip, I remember us leaving the IMAX having seen this, and I was like, that stopwatch throughout (laughs) kept me... It's such a brilliant piece of cinema, like just amazing, a masterpiece of capturing the tension of war in in one long go. Like you really Mm. felt like you were those guys on the beach at Dunkirk. It was, you were in the thick of it with everyone there. It was so immersive. It's brilliant. Yeah, I feel feel kind of bad for Nolan because he had his thunder stolen. Like the legacy of this movie kind of just went away really quickly as soon as 1917 rolled around. Mm. Which, because it felt like it was, even though it wasn't, it felt like it was the following year when 1917 rolled around and then everyone was focused on 1917 because it was one shot, isn't it? No, it's not. So how editing works at all. But anyway... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> How do you think the runners function? How do you think they filmed that? Really? Really? <laughs> anyway. it's, it's nice to lose yourself in a movie every now and again, but Van clearly can't do it. He's just always looking for the errors. I want to prove you wrong. 
But, um, and of course, Memento is just a really great twisty, turny thriller, memory, memory, sort of memory games being played mm, by with uh, Guy Pierce, yeah, with Guy Pierce, that one, and oh, Joe, Joe Pantaleano as well in that. I think it's very good. Uh, but then that's not the big cult item of our week. Take us through to Friday night, then, Miss Perfect. So, BBC One, 10 35. We need some company, I think. We do. And, you know, you might just sleep all day, party all night, but you know what? It's fun to be a vampire. This is The Lost Boys, BBC One, 10.35pm. My, I suppose, it's one of those films that I was like, this is so cool. I watched it way too young. I wanted to be as cool as the, you know, I was like, if you made me a vampire, as long as you didn't kill me, if you made me a vampire, I'd be cool with that, right? (laughs) And um, (laughs) this is like Keith Sutherland at his coolest. Um, Alex Winter's in this and also Jason Jason Patrick? No. Jason Patrick, who replaced Keanu in the Speed sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and it's just, oh, it's a Diane Weiss is in it. It's got the best sort of rendition of Baker Baker Street playing at like the party. I went to Santa Cruz when I was in the States because I, you know, on a road trip down, and I said I just want to go to Santa Cruz because I want to see, I want to see the whole, you know, the the theme park yeah, yeah. there on the beach. And it had a weird eerie vibe about it. I'm not gonna lie. I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was in it. I was immersed. I loved it. So if you haven't seen the Lost Boys, you've missed out massively. I know you're not kind of, you're kind of like oh. You know, I know why people love this, but stop talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I, I don't find it as endlessly rewatchable. I mean, I like the movie, but I feel like I would like it more if, like, some if, if a friend didn't force me to watch it once a year. It, it, it's kind of like the Goonies for me that way. It's like I, I would really like to just not have to see it for five minutes so that I can appreciate it. Just, just like that. That's all. Once a year's fine, though. That's a good amount of time. I'd be watching it once a month if I had the chance. I don't even watch Forrest Gump <laughs> or Shawshank that often. I mean, really. <laughs> well, listen, there's two camps here. Firstly, you've mentioned my favourite movie of all time, The Goonies. So um, if you ever like watching The Goonies and also Lost Boys more than once a year, mm. sit in my camp. If you're in Van's grumpy camp, you can sit with that. But either way, you can enjoy your Friday nights. It's 10.35pm on BBC One is The Lost Boys. And when we come back next, we'll be bringing you lots of treats on streaming. Welcome back for one last ride off screen. And since there's nothing new on the DVD or Blu-ray aisle this week, virtual or otherwise, how disappointing, we're going to have to take it entirely online and hit up the streaming platform. So, Ms. Perfect, uh, one that I have very, very much been looking forward to discussing in, in more detail with anyone. Uh, for the last few weeks has been uh, Fear Street. Mm. We, we've talked about it briefly, I think. Here yeah. And there. Yeah. But uh, it's now, it's concluding today, right? The, the, the third and final installment of the, of the Fear Street trilogy is available to stream on Netflix from today. That is Fear Street uh, 1666. So the first movie, which came out a fortnight ago, Fear Street Part 1, 1994. Last week we had Fear Street Part 2, 1978. Today, Fear Street Part 3, 1666. All centres around the small town of, is it Sunnyside? Sunnyside and Shady something. Shady Shady. Side and Sunnyvale, I think, are the sort of twin towns. You have uh, Sunnyvale, which everything's happy and it's affluent and, you know, everyone everyone looks like a white picket fence dweller and, you know, it's the ultimate suburban utopia and then next door is the town with, like, apparently a record-breaking murder rate called Shady Side and there are links and a rivalry between the two towns going back centuries and it all seems to tie into this, this, the legend of this witch, Sarah Sarah, Fears. Yeah. 
Sarah Beard. Yeah, yeah. Which I did not somehow click until the third movie is where the series gets its title from because at one point they go down Fears Street, which is named after her, and so then the series takes its title. I did yeah. not get this. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, so what you've got are three movies that kind of function standalone but don't at the same time. So the first movie, 1994, group of, of teens take on this witch whose curse has suddenly befallen them. They are besieged upon by monsters from different periods throughout the, throughout the last couple hundred years, like urban legend-type monsters. It's, and it's like, I think it's kind of like goosebumps, you know, for an older crowd. It's kind of how it plays. You then get the sequel. There is a, cliff, a cliffhanger element as well. You then get the sequel in which that story continues as the framing device for a 1978 set story, basically going further into the past of this this witch's curse. Which is obviously and, linked in the first movie. They do talk about that and there's... Exactly, yeah. 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 There's, there's, there's some setup in the same way that Back to the Future 2 occasionally mentions Doc's love of the Old West. Yeah. You know, it, it's in that exact way. 1666, Seraphir was hanged for witchcraft. Fact. But ever since she was executed, she's been possessing people, turning them into killers to take revenge on the town. It's like the nursery rhyme. Yeah, yeah. Before the witch's final breath, she found a way to cheat her death by cutting off her cursed hand. She kept her grip upon our land. She reaches from beyond the grave to make good men her wicked slaves. Yes, exactly. Don't you see what's happening to us? This is all proof. Shadyside isn't just some hotbed for psychos. All these massacres are connected to Sarah Fear. The witch's curse is real. You then get the setup for the big flashback, which is the bulk of, of movie number two, which is set in, set in 1978, and it takes place on a summer camp. Still the same kind of thing. These are all made by uh, director Lee Janiak, uh, Caleb Heyman, uh, cinematographer on Stranger Things, and composer Marco Beltrami. They all look and sound like they want some of that Stranger Things action until you get to the third one. Like The second one still kind of does. There's kind of an American horror story light kind of vibe going on there, maybe a bit more compressed. Oh, I, I don't know. Like I felt, yeah, I felt the first. So I've only seen the first movie out of this trilogy so far. I'm looking forward to 1978 and, of course, 1666 mm. as well. But I felt the first movie felt like Riverdale meets Stranger <laughs> yeah. Things in a way. I was calling. I've been calling this franchise American Horror Things. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah, it, I, I kind of get it. But it, it, what that says is that basically, if you like any of that stuff you'll find some synergy within this trilogy that you'll enjoy watching. Well, what I say, once you get, say you've got that Stranger Things grabbing first installment, you've got that Summer Camp Friday the 13th grabbing kind of second installment, and then for the third one, it goes into something that's become a lot more fashionable in more recent years, the period piece, dramatic horror tale of like the Salem era witch trials kind of thing, that this is all taking place in, in Shadyside and Sunnyvale, um, in which we go back to 1666 and we actually meet Sarah Fears and we actually find out what the story behind Sarah Fears really is, and, and then, of course, we have to tie that back into the present day, so we actually get an ending to it all as well. Yeah. It's very well done. And as far as, I mean, for the production production standard of them, I can't fault them. They look and feel the part every time. I would argue the third one, stylistically, is the weakest one at times. But it's not consistently to that level. It does pick up here and there. Yeah. Uh, Beltrami's delivering the goods on the score front. The retro pop soundtracks on the first two are very, very cool. Caleb Heyman, I think he's having a better time with the first two than the third. Um, but the third one is where you get all the acting. There, there are some great performances, I think, in the third one. And you're never 
you're never not engaged by it. It is very good stuff. I think if you are a fan of Riverdale, I think you you lap this up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're a fan of of, of anything like Supernatural, even or something mm. like that, even if you even if Vampire you Vampire Diaries, in, like all that kind of stuff. Vamp- yeah, exactly. If you were a kid when when those Ghostbusters movies started to come out in 2016, odds are you'll be at the age by now where you'll want to see this. Where you yeah. you know this would be the kind of equivalent to you now. So there is an audience for this, and I think it's definitely worth checking out. The whole trilogy is available to stream. The whole trilogy, completely from today, is is available on Netflix. So I, I think you should absolutely check it out. I'm a fan of point horror and R.L. Stein yeah. and things like this. is based on R.L. Stein's novels from the 90s. Uh, I think, uh, please, do go and see this because I, I really want Netflix to buy the rights to the point horror series and finally give me the babysitter quadrilogy. Yes, that, I'm with uh, you on that. God, that I love it. That I want those. so bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I already have The Girlfriend I Dreamed Of from 1994. Can <laughs> I now have the movies I dreamed of in 1994, please? <laughs> yeah, and actually, speaking of movies from 1994 or the 1980s <laughs> or whatever it is, those big ones, there is a great series that came out probably last year, actually, on Netflix and is getting its mm. season two of this, uh, which is the movie that made us and it's coming out um on on next friday um it's available on netflix i love this because it was like the first one was like home alone uh what were the other things die hard and ghostbusters were in there weren't they die hard ghostbusters elf or was that a different Ooh, one? No, Elf was Elf was the Christmas movies that made us. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, so we had Home Alone, we had Ghostbusters, we had Dirty Dancing, Die Hard, and then for the Christmas one, I don't know why you wouldn't include Die Hard in Christmas one, just FYI, but for the Christmas one, you had Elf and The Nightmare Before Christmas were the two episodes that they uh, they cranked out for that one. This time around, we're getting we're getting four complete bangers, I'm not going to lie, Bax. So first of all, we're getting the one, the only, Forrest Gump. Wow. We're getting Jurassic Park, we're getting back to the future and well you got it don't you we're getting pretty woman <gasps> do you know what the the thing that i think you know both for you and i that gets us mm. so passionate about movies is actually learning about the, the the people behind the movies as much as we love the movies themselves and everything that there went always, into that yeah there, as we see on so many of these things there's always so many great stories uh, behind the making of them like uh, for instance with pretty woman how that was intended as a, like a much darker more bleak drama and then it sort of changed with the casting of, of Julia Roberts I think they wanted something sweeter it was, I think it was called $3,000 originally yeah and I think there was I don't, I can't remember if it was Home Alone or which one it was where they were saying like they ran out of funding and someone like you know they, they swapped studios and it was never going to get made and then you know someone just really believed in them and then got it made and it became this yeah. massive behemoth that it was it's, oh it's, it's brilliant the magic of movies and if you enjoyed those first couple of series this is a, a really good one for you so that's available on Netflix from next Friday uh, the movies that made us make sure you check that out uh, but our final installment uh, of streaming this week is um, one that you're really excited about it's a Kate Beckinsale oh, movie yeah. And it's not um it's not her being a vampire. So I mean, I'll be honest with you, I, I miss uh getting excited about Kate Beckinsale being in a movie because it's been oh, it's been a long, 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 long time. But she's still, so she's still same, acting. Though. Yeah, she's she still, still looks the same and she's she's yeah. still acting. And uh, yeah, anyway, so now someone's given her her very own I don't know, which one are we going to insert here? Peppermint? Atomic Blonde? You know the hyper-violent female-driven action of the last few years that we've yeah. had? 
you know the, the ones that usually star like Charlize or Jennifer Garner or, or, or J-Lo or someone like that. You know the, the one where they always yeah. get like, she's going to be the, this, this, this is her action movie. Right, we're getting that with Kate Beckinsale. This is her raw, her raw John Wick style thing. I was going to say Liam Neeson, John Wick's probably better. So in this movie, follow me with the most absurd concept you've ever heard. She is a bouncer with an anger control problem. She has serious rage issues. And as a result, in order to prevent her from flying into murderous rages, when she starts to feel her blood boiling, she hits a button and turns on an electrified vest that she wears that allows her to calm down. And when, I think it's like the first, like her first true love, or like first boyfriend or love of her life, or whoever gets killed, she goes out for revenge. And yeah, I think this one might get a bit bloody, if we're being honest. Lindy. This is not a cure. The only way we're going to make progress is cutting-edge, avant-garde treatment. I've got this condition. It makes me snap. Like Tourette's? Just a tiny bit more. Oh, seriously, are you going to make me go through the whole face-stomping, bone-breaking, making-a-mess routine? Okay, fine. Sounds awful. I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> I know. It's one of those things where you, you, you know exactly where this is going to... You know, you know how every beat of this is going to feel and look. It's got, like, you know, it's got that, the same kind of, you know, a Dutch angle camera lens thing from John Wick. It's got the bisexual colour scheme that seems to run through all these movies. Like, for some reason, every room is lit in, like, neon pink and neon blue. Like, let's just keep doing that. That's how all movies look now, regardless of when they're set or where in the world. And then you've got, you know, former former five-minute star brought back for this career-reviving, potentially career-reviving action role. I mean, or career-killing. Gen- or career-killing. I mean, it didn't work for Jennifer Garner, but yeah. we'll see if Kate Beckinsale can... I mean, Kate Beckinsale can do this stuff. We know that. But how old is she now? Is she like sixty or something? So can she still can she still do it? <laughs> I, I bet you Kate Beckinsale's probably about forty-two at best. I bet you that turns out she can't be that much older than me. I am. I've got to look that one up. I don't know. I, but anyway, don't regardless, tell me that Kate Beckinsale's like older than like that much older than me. You're breaking well, up. I, I, well, I thought we were near the same age. No, and she's got two grown-up kids. Like her kid is like in her kids in college now. So. She was born oh, in 1973. Oh wow, she's got a decade on me. She looks good for it though. Yeah. Anyway, so let's uh, let, let's see we'll see how that turns out next week. I'm looking forward to reviewing that with you next week, Beck. Yes, me too. Uh, it, I mean, it's got dry Courtney in it, so odds are it's not going to go that well. Like but, I said, uh, it we sounds shall... terrible. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we shall we shall see, shall we? <laughs> right. So I mean, other than that, next week we've got a Shyamalan movie to talk about. Old is out mm. next week. Um, I think there's Mads Mikkelsen in Riders of Justice that that's coming out as well. There's the World to Come. We've got some good stuff to talk about next week, but we will talk about Jolt as well, because you don't love me a Crank-style movie. Did you ever watch Crank, by the way? No, to- I know. You've saved it for me. I'm yet to watch it. I did watch that one of the guy that was, of Jet Li as a dog caged up with Bob Hoskins. Ooh, yes, Unleashed. What do you think? I thought it was terrible. But anyway, oh moving on. <laughs> I, I'm destroyed inside, but you know what? We'll we, we can debate that. Uh, we can debate that another time. But uh, for now, that's that's us with the, your cinematic entertainment and offerings for the next seven days, and we shall return in the meanwhile. But I've been Van Connor, and I've been Bex Perfect, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>